Good morning. Uh, such a joy to be with you this morning, gathered for worship, uh, to be able to sing together, to hear the word of God read and prayed. What a joy to be with you this morning, and now to sit under his word preached. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the church in Rome. He said, I've longed to see you, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. And that has been our prayer as we come to visit you this morning and to preach God's word now. I also bring you greetings from uh, three very special people. Uh, our children, Sadie, Hallie, and Ian. We have two daughters and a son. They wish they could be here too with us worshiping, and I look forward to, Lord willing, you meeting them one day. Uh, if you were at our church in Louisville, Kentucky, back in America, you would be able to pick our children out, at least the girls, by looking for a nine and 10 year old who are holding other people's babies. They love other children. Our son, who is five years old, would be harder to find. He's wild and runs around and blends in with the other five-year-olds, so he would be harder to find, but eventually you'd be able to meet him. Uh, this morning, as we look at God's word, I want us to look at the story in Mark chapter 10. You can turn in your Bibles now to Mark chapter 10. Mark, the gospel of Mark, you'll find in the New Testament near the back of your Bible. Mark is a wonderful gospel to read, to be encouraged in your own faith, also to read with someone else, to introduce them to who Jesus is and what he came to do, Mark chapter 10. This morning we're going to be reading uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52, the story of blind Bartimaeus. As you turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 46, I want you to think about this. Who is your favorite character in a movie? Or maybe a favorite character in a book? Or history? Who is someone you admire? Someone you look up to? Someone you really might even want to imitate in your life? Who is your favorite character? Even who is your favorite character in the Bible? Lord willing, all of us would say Jesus, obviously. But besides Jesus, do you have anyone else in the Bible that you look up to? That you admire? Well, this morning in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52, we're going to be introduced to another character in the life of Jesus. And based on where this character is in the book of Mark, and based on how this character is described, I think that this character, blind Bartimaeus, is supposed to become one of our favorite characters too. Now, where are we in the book of Mark? Mark chapter 10, it's the middle section of the book. Jesus is making his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. The section opens in chapter 8 where Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah. And then Jesus, three times in this section of Mark, has predicted that he came to die and to rise again. There's a lot of confusion in this section of Mark. The disciples are slow to learn. Peter even rebukes Christ for having that idea. They have in their minds a worldly glory, a greatness that is wrapped up in their own desire for fame. They expect the Messiah to come as a political takeover. To establish the kingdom on earth. And they look forward to their own glory alongside him. In Mark chapter 10, as we look at the chapter, just to give you a bit of context, we're introduced to a lot of characters that we are not supposed to admire. And that we are not supposed to imitate. The beginning of the chapter, we're introduced to the self-righteous religious elite of the society. The Pharisees, trying to test Jesus, catch him in their words. Then we're introduced to these self-righteous disciples who are hindering the children from coming to Jesus. Next, we're introduced to a self-righteous rich man who is not willing to give up his riches to follow Jesus. We're introduced to two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, and they ask Jesus, we want you to do something for us. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, when you are in your glory, we want to sit at your right and your left hand. We want thrones in your glorious kingdom. And then we have this statement, this climax of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, right before a passage, important for us to read. We have the mission statement of Jesus. After all of those characters, we hear Jesus say this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And after we're given that mission statement, the camera zooms in, and we're meant to see that mission statement displayed in a picture in the life of one man who all of us ought to admire and imitate. My prayer this morning as we look at this passage is that this passage in the Gospel of Mark will convince you to be like blind Bartimaeus. Let's read this passage in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. It's just a glorious passage. So many people in the Gospel of Mark up to this point are spiritually blind or slow to see who Jesus really is. And then we meet this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, who clearly sees and responds in faith. I think the main point of this passage, the passage this passage is trying to teach us this truth, to see redemption through the blind man's eyes and to follow his example. See redemption through the blind man's eyes and follow his example. Before we dive in again to the text, let's just define what the Bible means by redemption. We've already looked at Mark chapter 10, verse 45, and that's a wonderful description of what redemption means, the definition. Jesus is the son of man. Now, son of man can mean merely human, but that term son of man was Jesus' favorite self-reference. If Jesus went to a party and he had a name tag, he would write on that name tag, son of man. It was his favorite self-reference because veiled underneath that term, it was charged with significance. As we read the Old Testament, we realize that son of man means more than just human, but a divine human king, the promised Messiah who came to deliver his people. That's who Jesus is. And we must understand who he is in order to define what redemption means. And not just who Jesus is, but what he came to do. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's a servant king, a divine king, a divine human servant king who came to serve and to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. Now ransom means the price of redemption or the price of release. It's a term that's meant to recall for us the Exodus. When Israel was in Egypt in slavery, God ransomed them. He redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. The emphasis in the verse right before our passage is on substitution. Jesus the Messiah takes the place of the many. The many deserve to die for their sins, and yet Jesus ransomed them with his life. That's what the Bible means by redemption. But here is the question. Here's the question. We know what redemption means. Jesus the Messiah came to die in the place of sinners. We know that. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. The question we must all ask is how does what Christ accomplished become true for me personally? How do I become one of the many? And that's what our passage answers today. We're going to break down this passage into three parts, looking through the eyes of the blind man at redemption, seeking to follow his example. So three parts that we're going to walk through this passage with will be, number one, we must see through the blind man who we really are. Number two, we must see through the eyes of the blind man who Jesus really is. And then point number three, 
we must respond in faith. So those three points, and we'll walk through our passage now. To answer that question, how can I become one of the many and enjoy the benefits of the redemption that Jesus came to accomplish? Let's look at point number one. We need to see who we really are. Look back at our text. Let's look at the blind man's condition. What do you notice? Well, the first thing that struck me when I read this passage is he has a name. Isn't that interesting? In in other gospels, even of this account, he's not named. But here we have a name, Bartimaeus. He's named. He's an individual, a real man. Did you know that this gospel of Mark is not a fable? It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not something that someone made up. This is a historical account of a real person that really lived. Uh, If Bartimaeus lived today, he would have a Facebook account. You could WhatsApp him. I'm sure even that some of the audience, the original readers of Mark's gospel, said, I know who Bartimaeus is. I've had him over for tea. He was a real man. Let's not forget as we look at his condition, which is meant to be in many ways a metaphor of our spiritual condition, let's not forget as we look at his life that he's not just a metaphor. He's a real man, a real individual, someone who we can meet in heaven if we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But second, look at his wretched condition. Verse 46, he was blind. He was a beggar. Bartimaeus could not see. He could not work. He was destitute. He was dependent on others, and he was in a ditch. Look again at verse 46. Where do we find Bartimaeus at the beginning of this account? Where is he? He is sitting by the roadside. He's sidelined. He's on the fringe. He's unnoticed. He's helpless. He's hopeless. I wonder, friend, have you ever felt like him? But, but notice in our passage this morning that Bartimaeus' poor condition was not merely physical, and it was not merely social or economic. Who else do we see in verse 46? Well, Jesus, he's there, his disciples, and a great crowd. Where are they going? The great crowd at this time was going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the great Passover feast. Can you imagine being an Israelite who was unable to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast? What must that have felt like for blind Bartimaeus? to be stuck on the side of the road while others went up to celebrate the Passover without him. To not only be an outcast in society, but to be unable to enjoy the celebration of the Passover. Jesus with his disciples and a great crowd are leaving Jericho to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Bartimaeus is being left behind on the side of the road. This morning... We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, a celebration which commemorates, many ways fulfills, but commemorates and expands, and this amazing redemption, not through Israel out of Egypt, but the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross in the place of sinners, releasing the captives from their sin and death and hell, this is what we will celebrate this morning. We will celebrate the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Are you a member of this church? Or of another church that preaches the same gospel you hear this morning? Remember as we take the bread and the cup who you once were. Remind yourself of your spiritual condition before you met Jesus Christ. Remember that. And let that memory increase your joy and gratitude in the table we will celebrate. If you're not a member of this church or a disciple of Jesus Christ, this passage, this table is meant to draw you in, to make you in your heart long to join the feast. Bartimaeus is blind. Bartimaeus is a beggar. Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. He represents all of us in our spiritual condition apart from the redeeming work of Christ through his death on the cross. But, but we need to not move on too quickly. We need to sit a little longer with blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road. We need to feel his condition more deeply 
and let the darkness close in. Are you aware throughout the Old Testament that blindness was a symbol of unbelief, judgment, and curse? In Genesis 19, the wicked men of Sodom and Gomorrah are struck with blindness and judgment. Later in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the covenant curses for disobedience say this, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in the darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. In Isaiah 6, blindness represents Israel's hard heart, their unbelief, an inability to understand and respond to God so that he might heal them. In 2 Kings chapter 25, wicked Zedekiah, the last Davidic king to rule in Jerusalem, is captured in the plains of Jericho. It's very interesting. Our text takes place in Jericho. Wicked Zedekiah, the last Davidic king, is fleeing from Jerusalem. He's captured in Jericho. He's exiled into Babylon. They make him watch the slaughter of all of his sons. There are no more descendants, Zedekiah. And then they rip out his eyes and make him blind in judgment, in curse. What a symbol of his unbelief. And unless, unless we think that this only applies to Israel in the Old Testament, the prophet Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 17, says that when God's final judgment on all the world, all nations, all peoples comes, he describes it like this. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Friend, if you have never felt the weight of your sin against a holy God. You need to sit with the blind man by the roadside until you do. But believe it or not, it's even worse than you think. Blindness in the Bible not only represents separation from God, not only represents separation from God and his holiness, it also represents separation from God's people and the provision of God's redemption. Under the old covenant, blind priests, blind priests, if you were a priest, you were a Levite, but you were blind, you were not allowed to offer sacrifices. Blind animals were not allowed to be sacrificed to the Lord. And there's a proverbial saying in 2 Samuel 5 that's shocking. It says, the blind and the lame are hated by David's soul and shall not enter the house. We get the point. To be Blind in Israel is to be cut off from priestly, kingly work, to be excluded from redemptive offices. Now, let's look again at verse 46. Bartimaeus, his name. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now, it's interesting that sometimes in the Bible, names have significance. Now, in Greek, let's look at his dad's name, Timaeus. So, Bar, son, Bar, Timaeus, son of Timaeus. Timaeus, Timaeus in Greek means... Timaeus means honored, highly prized. Now, we don't know exactly why he was named that, but it would be interesting if Timaeus, his dad, if Bartimaeus' dad was maybe a high official, an honored man, maybe even in Jericho, someone who would sit at the gate and rule. If that's the case, look at how far Bartimaeus has fallen from where his father was. He's a beggar in a ditch. But I think it's more likely that Timaeus is related to the Aramaic name Timai. So the Greek Timaeus comes from the Aramaic Timai. And Timai, or Timae in Hebrew, was a terrible word in Israel. Timai means unclean. It's used over a hundred times in Leviticus to describe the uncleanness through disease or contact with death. Unclean Israelites were excluded from participation in the sacrifices, sometimes excluded completely from the camp. Tamai, Tamai, or Tamai, Tamai, unclean, unclean, is what a leper would have to cry to warn people, keep far away from me so you're not polluted by my uncleanness and you become excluded as well. And in the Bible, when we see that son language show up, the son of, sometimes it's used as a metaphor, a description, a characteristic of the person. If you've been a Christian or read the Bible, you know in the book of Acts, another bar name, Barnabas. Who is Barnabas? What does that mean? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Here in Mark chapter 10, we have Bartimaeus, the son of unclean. So which best describes Bartimaeus? Is he highly prized or is he highly polluted? 
Is he honored and raised up or is he excluded and shut out? Well, at the beginning, we see him by the roadside. But I I think as we walk through this passage, we will see that by the end, we are supposed to see him as highly prized. This blind beggar is one individual for whom Jesus came to die to give his life as a ransom for many. But at this point at the beginning, Bartimaeus is a total outcast, separate from God, his people, God's provision of redemption. And so are we, apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Friend, look in the mirror. Who do you see? How do you see yourself? Have you clothed yourself with your own self-righteousness? Have you tried to puff yourself up with your own importance? What is it that you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see yourself as you should through the eyes of this blind man, apart from Christ, blind, a beggar, helpless, stuck in our unbelief, under God's curse and judgment, polluted, excluded? Apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, we are all spiritual beggars in desperate need of someone to rescue us. That's point number one. We must see who we really are. We must start there in order to understand and appreciate point number two. So point number two, we must see through the eyes of the blind man who Jesus really is. Now, ironically, if you look at verse 46, there's this great crowd. Verse 47, Bartimaeus hears. They hear, he hears the gossip of the crowd. And all the crowd as they're walking to Jerusalem and walking with the disciples and Jesus, they're saying, do you see that man over there? That's Jesus of Nazareth. Ironically, in this passage, it's the crowd who can see who are blind. They are the ones who don't get it. They are the ones living by sight and not as we'll see the faith of blind Bartimaeus. Now, Jesus of Nazareth is not an untrue title. He was a man who was, did much of his ministry there, was from there. In fact, um, Jesus of Nazareth is even a title of fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And yet, uh, this was not really who Jesus is. Yes, he's a historical figure like Bartimaeus. He really existed, really from Nazareth. But many times on the lips of some, calling him Jesus of Nazareth was more like an insult, a little bit of kind of underhanded backhand slap, a derogatory turn to to many Jesus was nothing more than an itinerant preacher from a no-name town. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But notice what blind Bartimaeus calls Jesus twice. As you read the Gospel of Mark, this is the only time someone calls Jesus by this title. The only time. And what does he say? Look at verse 47. Jesus, son of David. Son of David was a title at that time in history that could get you killed. It was a messianic title charged with religious and political overtones. It meant the king of the Jews, the long-awaited deliverer of God's people. It had roots in 2 Samuel 7, God's great promise to David that one of his descendants, a son of David, would return and sit on the throne and have an everlasting kingdom, crushing the enemies of God, delivering his people. Son of David was the tip of the spear of all of God's promises. From the promise that Eve would have an offspring that would one day crush the head of the serpent, to the covenant that God made with Abraham to bless every nation, And to do so through the nation of Israel. And then it narrows down to that one man who will accomplish redemption. The son of David. Our story takes place in Jericho. Herod the Great. Not the one ruling at the time. But Herod the Great had his winter palace in Jericho. Think of the glory. The splendor of the context of our passage. That great king. He was the one who killed infants in Bethlehem because of prophecies about the son of David. And now, as all this crowd is walking through Jericho, leaving it behind, some guy yells out the name, son of David. 
That could get you in trouble with Herod. In fact, not just Herod, remember the Romans, the, the empire that rules this land. They have been crucifying Jews for all the insurrections led by messianic pretenders. And even besides the political leaders, what about the religious leaders? What about the Pharisees who kick people out of the synagogue for claiming that Jesus is the Messiah? And in just a week after our passage, Jesus himself will be crucified because he is the king of the Jews. The Christ, son of David, it would have gone off like a bombshell in the crowd. Get that guy to stop shouting that title. Now, it might be that the, crew, the, the crowd, the crowd might have rebuked Bartimaeus just because he's a beggar, he's a no one, and we're important, we're going to a feast. Quiet him, it's annoying, I just, too loud. Quiet, stop shouting. But I think in our verse, in our passage, especially as we read the crowd rebuking him in verse 48, I think we're meant to see underneath their rebuke, fear. Fear. Brothers and sisters, are you afraid of those in religious and political authority? Now, we rightly submit to the authority that God has placed over us, but when it comes to acknowledging Jesus as Savior and Lord, do we let fear rule our hearts instead of our allegiance to Christ? Does it terrify you if you're meeting with people and someone says, I'm a Christian? I believe that Jesus is the son of David, the one who came to ransom. Don't let fear blind you like it blinded the crowd. Fear led them to rebuke a blind beggar crying for mercy. Fear led them to hinder that him, this man, from the only hope of his redemption. The crowd was more concerned with saving their own skin than that man's salvation. They were more puffed up with their own self-importance than the truth of who Jesus really is and what he could do to help a blind beggar on the side of the road. Do not be like the crowd. Do not live in fear. As you look at this passage in the context of Mark, maybe we're being a little bit harsh on the crowd. Uh, what's interesting is up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus himself has been telling people to be quiet about his identity. Uh, when he would cast out demons, the demons knew who he was, and they would yell out, the Holy One of God, and he would say, be quiet. Don't tell anyone. Jesus would heal people. And as they enjoyed this amazing restoration, he would say, do not tell anyone. Even at the beginning of the section in chapter 8, when Peter finally professes, confesses, Jesus, you are the Christ, Jesus strictly charges them to tell no one. So maybe this rebuke is more related to the disciples doing their job. Up to this point, Jesus has been saying, quiet, 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 quiet. Don't tell anyone. Maybe the crowd is just following the disciples and what they're learned to do through Jesus. And just a few sections back, the disciples also hindered the children from coming to Jesus. All these things might have been swirling through their minds. We know at this time, something else is going on. The disciples themselves, and maybe even the crowd, are starting to get a sense that Jesus, he really is connected to this idea of Messiah. He's on his way to Jerusalem. The disciples, especially James and John, they're starting to pick up on this and saying, okay, Jesus, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's about to do a great work. This must be the moment when he's going to ascend to the throne, conquer the Romans. Jesus, give us thrones. I want to sit at your right hand and your left hand. And they're going to Jerusalem with this thought in their mind of Jesus' kingdom, his glory, their own glory. And as they're going in with all the excitement of what's about to happen, a blind guy says, son of David. And they say, quiet. Maybe the disciples were not so concerned with themselves getting in trouble. Maybe they were worried that that blind beggar is going to get Jesus killed. Keep him quiet. So why? Why didn't Jesus rebuke Bartimaeus like the crowd? Why this time? Why did he remain silent and let the beggar shout the name and the title, 
son of David. It's because Jesus is not going to Jerusalem to ascend to a political throne. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. Jesus is going there to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, just step aside out of this passage for a while. I want you to think in your minds, this is a great contrast with the last son of David who was in Jericho. Do you remember we mentioned earlier wicked Zedekiah? He was the last son of David, the king in Jerusalem ruling when the Babylonian army came. Zedekiah was wicked. He led the nation into idolatry. And he flees from Jerusalem to save his own life. He's self-serving, self-preserving, wicked, and he's fleeing. He's captured in Jericho, and then he's sent into exile and blinded. He was proud. He was a king like the nations. He suffered for his own sins. Now think about that. Think about that. And what a contrast with the new and better son of David showing up in Jericho now. Jesus is not fleeing from Jerusalem. He is walking to Jerusalem. Jesus is not trying to run away to save his own life. He's running to die so that he can save the lives of many. Jesus is not self-serving. He's not proud. He's not a king like the nations. He is the son of God who came to die in the place of sinners. And while he is going there, he has time for a blind man. We must see who Jesus really is through the eyes of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was physically blind, but out of all the crowd and the disciples, the religious elite, the rich, only blind Bartimaeus could clearly see who Jesus is and what he had come to do. Maybe Bartimaeus spoke better than he knew. I'm sure after Jesus died and rose again, he would grow in his understanding of the glory of Christ and his work. But the point of this passage, the point of this part in Mark, is to direct our gaze to the glories of who Jesus really is. To focus our thoughts like a laser on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the son of David, the servant king who came to give his life as a ransom for many. Some of you have never really seen who Jesus is. In your mind, he's a historical figure. Maybe you believe he existed, but he's nothing more. Look through the eyes of the blind man and see that he is the divine king who came to die in the place of sinners. Uh, some of you have seen Jesus. You've seen him a hundred times, but you keep coming up with excuses. He, he can't possibly be the son of God, God in the flesh. He, he can't possibly die in the place of sinners. Friend, look through the eyes of the blind man and see that Jesus is the king of kings who demands our allegiance. Some of you have seen Jesus clearly, just like blind Bartimaeus. You know him, you see him, you love him. But sin is blinding you again. It's clouding your vision. You no longer see the glory of Christ like you used to. Look again through the eyes of the blind man and see the glory of Christ. Turn away from your sin and look again at the glory of Christ. Some of you this morning are deeply discouraged. You've done all you can to see Jesus like you once did, and yet the darkness keeps closing in. Take heart. Jesus loves to lift up the lowly. Keep looking to him. As we look at this passage and the interaction between Jesus and Bartimaeus, especially in verse 49, 50, 51, and 52, it's a tender scene. Don't you love this moment between Jesus, the son of David, and the blind beggar? Jesus, who left the glory of his throne, has stooped down and has time to meet with this man. He is gentle, and he is lowly, and he lifts him up. Jesus says, blind beggar, I am at your service. What can I do for you? He is a humble king. He came to serve and to ransom the many, including this man. So 
That's our first two points. We must see clearly through the eyes of the blind man who we are in our spiritual condition. And we must see who Jesus is, the glory of his kingship, the greatness of his work of redemption through the cross, and even his lowliness, his gentleness, his tenderness for sinners like us. And then point number three, we must respond in faith. You know, Bartimaeus knew his true condition, and he knew Jesus' true identity. He knew both of those things, but that's not enough. Knowledge is not enough, nor is even conviction. Bartimaeus would have died blind on the side of the road if he had not responded in faith. Friends, you can come to church, you can read your Bible, you can do all kinds of religious activities if you never respond in faith, relying on, acting on what you believe about yourself and the Lord Jesus Christ. You will remain dead in your sins. Learn from Bartimaeus to respond in faith. Faith is active. Bartimaeus in this passage has so many characteristics of faith. He's held up in the Gospel of Mark as a model disciple. Let's look more closely now at the marks of his faith. I, at looking at this passage, I can see at least 10 marks of faith. Maybe you will be able to find more. At least 10 marks. Let's look at them one by one. Number one, he saw through his ears. Did you notice that in verse 47? He can't see anything, but he hears. He hears Jesus of Nazareth is here. Hearing is important in the Bible. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Bartimaeus didn't see Jesus with his physical eyes, but hearing was enough. He knew from Psalm 146, verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Maybe he also knew Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 35, which we read this morning, about God opening the eyes of the blind. He knew these things. He'd heard them. And maybe he knew from Isaiah 61, verse 1, that the promised Messiah would give recovery of sight to the blind. So he has all this in his mind, and he knows if a guy shows up and he heals blind people, that's the Messiah. He's heard, and that's enough. Brothers and sisters, that is why it is so important for us to gather every Sunday and sit under the preaching of God's word. It is through the ears that we see the glory of Christ. Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Keep coming to church. Bring others with you so that they can see Jesus through their ears too. Here's another mark of faith. He cried out with conviction. Look at the middle of verse 47. As soon as Bartimaeus hears that Jesus was near, can you imagine? He's spring-loaded. As soon as he hears, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't need to wait. He didn't need time to consider. Let's weigh the options, the evidence. I want to do all my research. He was convinced of his desperate condition. He was convinced that Jesus could save him. And when Jesus was near, he responded immediately with desperation and cried out. Now, it might take longer for, for many of us. It, it certainly did for Jesus' disciples. It took time for them to see slowly over time. And, and yet Bartimaeus here in the Gospel of Mark is held up as the ideal. This is the ideal we should all aim for. We should pray for spring-loaded faith that cries out as soon as Jesus is near. Notice another mark. He acknowledges Jesus publicly. Again, look at the end of verse 47. He says, Jesus, son of David. His faith overcame any fear, any fear of social pressure, fear of political penalty, fear of personal rejection. Despite all the public risk, Bartimaeus acknowledges who Jesus is publicly. Now, I know that this is riskier for some of us than others, but faith always has a way of making itself known. It can't help itself. It comes to the surface. It becomes visible. It can't stay hidden or silent. We have a dear friend from Afghanistan. This dear brother in the Lord from Afghanistan is like Bartimaeus. He was bold in his faith. He told his family, his friends. He went so far as to take his government ID and change the religion on his ID from Muslim to Christian. 
Friends, acknowledge Jesus publicly. Tell people you're a Christian. Introduce Jesus early on in your friendships and your conversations. Here's another mark of faith. He pleaded for mercy. Do you see that in verse 47? And again in verse 48. Son of David, have mercy on me. Isn't this strange? Isn't this strange? Blind Bartimaeus is a beggar. But nowhere in this account does he ask for money. He only asks for mercy. He is more concerned about his spiritual condition than his physical need. Yes, yes, eventually he will ask for his physical sight to be restored. But don't forget what blindness represents in all its wretched, miserable horror at that time. Blind Bartimaeus wants to be restored. He needs the mercy of God. He knows Jesus can give it. And earlier in the Gospel of Mark, do you remember the story of the paralytic that Jesus heals? His friends bring him through the roof. Here's a lame man. And Jesus' first response is, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals the man to prove he has authority to show mercy and forgive. So Bartimaeus' plea for mercy in our passage is a model prayer for sinners. Friend, learn this prayer of faith from blind Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is like the prayer of the tax collector in Luke 18. Do you remember him? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he was justified. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. This is an opportunity for you to pray this prayer for the very first time. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If you are a Christian, keep praying this prayer over and over again. Even as this morning we had the prayer of confession, we cry out every day. Every week, Jesus, have mercy on me. There's another mark of faith. Look again at verse 48 as he's rebuked. This is the other mark of faith. Bartimaeus didn't give up. I mean, you've got to love this guy. He didn't give up. Think about all the things that were going against him. He's blind. He's a beggar. Now the crowd is rebuking him. And it says in verse 48, many rebuked him over and over again. Well, guess what? He cries out all the more. They try to silence him. He shouts louder. He never gives up. He had courage. He was stubborn in his faith. Can you see in him the insolence of faith, the tenacity? This reminds me of the persistent widow in Luke 18. Do you remember the widow in Luke 18? She keeps hounding the judge for justice. She keeps going to him. Show me justice. Show me justice. And she eventually receives her request. Well, here, Bartimaeus is crying out again and again and again for mercy. He does not give up. I love Bartimaeus because he reminds me of Jacob wrestling with God in the book of Genesis. It's like Bartimaeus, through his cry, he's not giving up. He's holding on and saying to Jesus, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm not giving up until you do. Now, my guess is that most of us, if we're in his shoes, would give up after one or two tries. I know there's been many times where I have wilted in the face of lesser rebukes. Even Peter, Jesus' disciple, a few chapters from now, will have a servant girl say, you're not one of his disciples too, are you? And he says, no, no, I've never known the man. Peter gave up. And many times so do we. But look at Bartimaeus. Be reminded, don't give in to social pressure. Don't lose heart when you face opposition. Your family may be against you. The crowd may be against you. The world may be against you. Keep crying to Jesus for mercy until he answers. And that leads us to verse number 49 and another mark of faith. Bartimaeus got Jesus' attention. Look at verse 49. The whole account and Bartimaeus' whole life hinges on one phrase. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. If Jesus had kept going, Bartimaeus would still be blind on the side of the road. Jesus stopped because Bartimaeus did not stop. He got Jesus' attention and it changed his life. But I want you to see something about Jesus more than I want you to see something about Bartimaeus. Look at this, friend. Jesus answers the cry of faith and the plea for mercy. 
Friend, it does not matter how sinful you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Cry out to Jesus for mercy, and he will hear you and respond. Jesus was surrounded by a great crowd, but he stopped for one man, a man who knew his need and knew who could give him mercy. But there's more. Look at this other mark of faith. He was called. Verse 49, again, uh, Jesus stops and then says, call him. He was called. Uh, I love it how Jesus is now elevating the beggar and he's humbling the crowd. The crowd thinks they're self-important. And yet Jesus stops and says to the crowd, not to the blind man, he says to the crowd, you guys call him. He's humbling them. He's reducing them to a courier service. Call him. I'm the king. Send the message. In the gospel of Mark, when we hear the word call, not always, but many times it's related to Jesus calling his disciples. It's a call to discipleship. And here we have the same. Jesus is calling Bartimaeus to be his disciple. So the crowd says, friend, take heart, get up. He's calling you. They have the invitation, the RSVP, come. But it's more than just an RSVP invitation. It's a royal summons. Because when Jesus calls in this way, it's effective. And the blind beggar answers the call. He is ushered into the presence of the king. He responds immediately. And look what he does in verse 50. And here's another mark of faith. He's called. And what does he do in verse 50? I love it. He throws off his cloak. Now, maybe you don't want to wear a cloak in Ras al-Khaimah on a hot day. But at that time, his cloak probably was his means of income. He's a beggar. But beggars have to have something in which people can throw the coins. He has his cloak laid out. He's waiting for the money so that he can live. And when Jesus calls, what does he do? Even this beggar throws away everything he has. He throws away his cloak. Now you remember Jesus' disciples, they leave boats, they leave nets, they leave fathers, servants, they leave a tax booth. Bartimaeus leaves his cloak behind. He leaves everything to follow Jesus. Friend, have you left everything to follow Jesus? Or is something holding you back? Are you more like the rich man earlier in the chapter who said, I love my wealth more than I love Christ. What is holding you back from following the Lord Jesus? Be like blind Bartimaeus. Throw aside whatever is hindering you. And here's another mark of faith. He throws off his cloak. And I love the verb. He sprang up. Do you see in this the mark of faith? Eagerness. He came eagerly. Bartimaeus cried out as soon as he heard Jesus was near. And then when Jesus calls him, he immediately springs up into action. He came eagerly. Friend, brothers and sisters, if we are Christians, do we live a life coming to Jesus eagerly? When people look at us, do they say, there is someone who finds their greatest joy, their only hope in Jesus. They're so eager for him, like this blind beggar. And then lastly, and this is just a cluster, a group of marks of faith, as we see the interaction of verse 51 and 52. Here's the marks of faith. Bartimaeus calls Jesus his master. He tells him his need. And he follows him on the way. Friend, if you are not a Christian. And you would like to cry out to the Lord Jesus for mercy. Follow Bartimaeus' lead. Cry out to Jesus. Call him your master. Tell him your need. And follow him on the way. Do you notice in verse 51. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man says to him, Rabbi. Rabbi at that time is a word that means my master, my Lord. It was usually connected to a title of honor. It implies respect, obedience. So here the blind beggar is showing his respect and his obedience to Christ. And when Jesus asks what he wants, the beggar does not ask for a throne. Lift me out of the ditch. Make me the president. Blind Bartimaeus says, Lord. Let me see. And when his eyes are opened, when he is saved by his faith, both physically and spiritually, what does this blind beggar do? What does he do? Jesus says, go on your way, depart. <laughs> and Bartimaeus says, no way. I'm going with you to Jerusalem, to the feast, to the cross. Bartimaeus is a model disciple. He is a good 
guide for us all. He is a picture to us of redemption. It's immediate, effective, and it demonstrates to us allegiance to Christ. And did you notice how Jesus heals Bartimaeus of his blindness? Does he touch him? Does he speak a word of healing over him? How does Jesus heal blind Bartimaeus? He doesn't touch him. He doesn't say anything. He just says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus has great power. Bartimaeus has great faith. Friend, I hope by now this passage has convinced you that blind Bartimaeus is one of the best characters in the entire Bible. We see redemption through his eyes. We learn what faith looks like. He starts as a blind beggar by the roadside. He ends lifted up, his sight restored, following Jesus on the way. He's no longer an outcast. He's now a disciple. Welcome to the table. The son of David came to give his life as a ransom for the son of Timaeus. He's no longer highly polluted. He's highly prized. And as we close, we turn our minds and our hearts now to the Lord's Supper, this table, as we celebrate this wonderful feast, this picture of redemption through our Lord and Savior, I want you to do something in immediate application of this passage. I want you to look around this room at the many. But like this passage has done for us, I want you to pick out of the crowd individuals, people who have real names, real stories of how God redeemed them. Look around this room and be reminded of who they once were who Jesus is, and the redemption we have in Christ. And let your heart swell in gratitude. We may not look great in the world's eyes here this morning, but every single one of us is a blood-bought prize of the Lord Jesus Christ.